Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Jocker's Functional Nutrition Podcast, the show designed to give you science-based solutions to improve your health and life. I'm Dr. David Jockers, doctor of natural medicine and creator of drjockers.com, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm here to tell you that your body was created to heal itself, and on this show, we focus on strategies you can apply today to heal and function at your best. Thanks for spending time with me, and let's go into the show. This podcast is sponsored by our friends over at Paleo Valley, and one of their products that I use on a regular basis is their apple cider vinegar complex, and I use it to help support my energy, my blood sugar, and to promote good digestion. You guys have heard me talk about the importance of stomach acid in the past, Stomach acid helps us prevent against pathogens. So when we eat food, pathogens come in like parasites and bad bacteria. Good stomach acid helps kill those things. It also helps us break down protein and absorb minerals and different nutrients. Well, apple cider vinegar is one of the best things you can be using to help promote the right amount of stomach acid to be produced. And that's why I take this with meals. On top of that, the apple cider vinegar, really it's really good for blood sugar stability. See, when you have blood sugar imbalances, that can make you crash in the afternoon and cause your body to hold on to fat, especially belly fat, which makes you feel hungrier more often. You have cravings. Well, good news. You can actually take apple cider vinegar. Research has shown that it helps reduce the glycemic load and improve your insulin sensitivity and that is really key for all day energy. On top of that, it helps with weight loss by lowering your fasting blood glucose, by increasing your metabolism, improving your muscle performance so you can crush your workouts, regulating your appetite so you feel like you're in control and you're not just driven by your hunger and cravings. It also decreases insulin and that's key because insulin is the fat storage hormone and insulin, more insulin we have in our bloodstream, the more inflammation our body's going to produce. So apple cider vinegar is powerful for getting insulin under control, bringing down inflammation and helping you burn fat for fuel. So what I love about the apple cider vinegar complex is it's a thousand milligrams of apple cider vinegar, about a one and a half tablespoons of apple cider vinegar. And then they also combined it with other warming herbs. They have 300 milligrams of turmeric, one of the most powerful anti-inflammatory herbs, 300 milligrams of ginger and turmeric and ginger really synergize to have a powerful anti-inflammatory effect in the body. They're also great for the digestion, for gut health, for stomach acid production. There's also 150 milligrams of cinnamon in here. We know cinnamon is one of the best things for blood sugar support and 50 milligrams of lemon. And lemon really is good for stomach acid production. Bile flow helps stimulate production of bile, pancreatic enzymes, so we can really digest our food optimally. And Paleo Valley, all their ingredients are all, they're all organic. So no toxins in there. And it is really pure and it works, guys. So definitely check this out. You can go to paleovalley.com, use the coupon code JOCKERS at checkout to save 15%. I know you guys will love this product. Well, hey, everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Real excited today. I've got my friend Autumn Smith. This is her third time on the show, but it's been a few years now. Haven't had her on in a little while, but in the past, we've talked a lot about vitamin C. We've talked about this topic as well, grass-fed, grain-fed, but we're going to really dive into it deeper in today's podcast. And if you don't know Autumn, she has a master's in holistic nutrition. She's a certified eating psychology coach. She is a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner, and she runs Paleo Valley, one of our favorite companies that we talk about all the time on this podcast. They've got the amazing grass-fed beef sticks that I, I talk about quite often because I eat them just about every day. My family eats them. I was sharing with Autumn that we, 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 uh, we invested in, in these meat sticks to have as emergency storage food. You know, you, you, uh, you never know what's going on. You know, obviously we got a lot going on with our economy and society today. And so it's really good to have at least a month of extra food. You know, there's a, 
there's a saying that says we are nine meals away from anarchy, meaning most people don't have uh, you know, enough food to last nine meals if like they couldn't get go to the grocery store or get food at a restaurant. They don't have more than nine meals worth of food in their house. And so after somebody misses a few meals, you know, I'm a big fan of intermittent fasting, but most people out there, after they miss one meal, they get very irritable. And if, uh, you know, the idea of not having food, uh, you know, if, if they don't have hope that they're going to be able to get food, people are going to become, you know, they're, they're, they're going to go off, off the deep end. And so it's always good to have food storage around. Most people are getting things like rice and beans for food storage, which, you know, nothing against that, but it's just not going to satiate you and provide the quality of nutrition that doing something like grass-fed beef, and we're going to talk more about the nutrients in grass-fed beef, but, you know, you'd like to have some level of storage of that. The issue is you don't have a freezer, refrigerator, you know, like you, you can't, you can only store so much in those areas. And so doing something like these grass-fed meat, meat sticks, not only the great snacks, but also great food storage, and they've got probiotics in them, good for the gut. And they have a good shelf life. So uh, so you can get those. We, we have about six months worth that we just rotate through. So every every month we get an, another month, another month's worth. And then we go through, you know, what we had, what we ordered like six months ago. And they're still great. They taste great. My kids love them. So guys, Paleo Valley, definitely check them out. She also is running Wild Pastures, which we'll talk about uh, as we go on in this podcast as well. So guys, today we're going to talk about grass-fed versus grain-fed meats and regenerative farming. Autumn, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Dr. Jockers. That was an amazing introduction. And I love that nine meals from anarchy. That's mm. genius. And um, I love what you're doing. So it's quite an honor to be here. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. And I was just telling you and your husband, uh, you know, that I, I just really I look up to you guys as far as your courage for getting this information out with, with Paleo Valley. You guys have a great, you're putting out great content with your podcast, everything that you're doing. And, um, and then you've got amazing products. And then also you started Wild Pastures as well. And so tell us more about Wild Pastures as we get started here. Yeah, basically Wild Pastures came to be because I became a mom and we had all these pre-existing relationships with farmers because of our beef sticks. And they were teaching me that, you know, the FAO or the Food and Agricultural Organization estimates we only have 60 years of topsoil left. Mm. And these farmers, you know, a lot of people have this image that they're just good old boys, but they're smart. They're scientists, they're experimenting. And they were finding that some practices were actually able to rehabilitate the land. And um, estimates vary, but approximately, you know, between 50 and 75% of the world's soils have been degraded. And so when I heard about the brilliant potential for us to use our beef sticks and connect people with the farmers who are using regenerative methods. We thought we need to do this because people want high quality meat. They want to feel like they're making a difference, but it was hard to find and it was too expensive when they did. So, and the farmers didn't know how to market themselves. They didn't want to market themselves. They're like, we just want to stay out here in our field, raise our animals. We don't want to have to put ourselves out there and acquire customers. So we were like, what if we connected the farmers who were using solely regenerative methods with the consumers who valued that type of practice and made them affordable so we could actually put a dent in factory farming and rehabilitate the soils at the same time. So that's what we decided to do. And so Wild Pastures is just a meat delivery service. We take, you know, only regeneratively raised in America meats, beef, pork, chicken, and then sustainably caught fish. And then we just deliver them to people's doors. And we consider the environment in every single aspect of that business. In Paleo Valley, when we started it, we were really focused on human health and we always are and still will be. But I think it was the addition of our son that made us think like, we are just borrowing this planet from future generations. And so we don't want to see a time when he will have to struggle or not have food or have soil to grow food. Yeah, that's so good. That's and and that's what we really have to do. I know the the Native Americans used to used to say something like think five generations from now. Like everything you do, you should be thinking five generations deep, right? How is it going to impact five generations from now? And that's really, you know, how we leave mankind in a better place than we than we started in, right? And that's what we should yeah. be thinking. So, I'm glad that you guys are doing that. And, um, you know, that's really interesting about the topsoil. A lot of people are talking about climate change today, right? We hear that term a lot and carbon emissions. Not as many people are talking about the topsoil. And so that's what really intrigued you. But, you know, people hear things about climate change and carbon emissions. And particularly when it comes to carbon emissions, one of the things that's targeted are 
cow farms, right? People are saying, well, you know, if we're eating a lot of beef, right, that's actually putting more carbon emissions, right? Just raising cattle is putting out a lot of carbon emissions. Why are they saying that? Oh, this is such a great topic. Well, because the mainstream narrative says tells us that, right? They've done um, analyses, for example, there's a paper called Livestock's Long Shadow, and um, it reported that the livestock sector was in fact contributing more emissions than the transportation sector. But when you really broke this paper down, what it showed was they didn't do a full accounting or a life cycle analysis for both systems, just for the agricultural system, where they're looking at processing, raising them, the feed. But when they compared it to the emissions of the car, it was just the gas emissions, mm. not the production. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a fair analysis. And when there was a fell analysis, they found that the transportation sector produced far more. Um, and so there is this push. The big elephant in the room is basically coal, oil, gas. They're contributing about 60% of the emissions. And when you look at the data in America specifically, cows are responsible for about 2% of emissions, crop agriculture for about 4.5%, and all livestock about 3.9%. And so there is just a lot of misinformation that happens here. Um, and that is even taken into consideration when we have feedlots in the equation, right? So we can even do better than feedlots. Those are based on our current methods of production. But when you look at regenerative agriculture, the thing that really excites me is everyone is focused on begging these huge corporations to reduce emissions. And I think that's important, right? We've released mm -hmm. carbon into the atmosphere. It's trapping heat, you know, and, and a lot of scientists agree that it's causing climate change. But even if we stopped emissions today, right, it would still take us years and years and years for us to get back down to a level of carbon in the atmosphere that people believe would begin drawdown, right? Where we would be able to reverse this trend. So what we need to focus more on is how do we get it back in the soil? Yeah. Because the soil is where it came from in the first place. And people often think, you know, um, trees are the key, but the soil in the top meter of soil, there's more carbon than in, you know, the atmosphere and, um, than, than trees can hold. And it is where we need to look in order to get the carbon back out of the atmosphere. And when people are, are blaming animal agriculture, A, the numbers are distorted, as we just discussed, even in the feedlot system, but B, they're not taking into account the fact that regenerative agriculture can sequester carbon and has been shown to do such in at least two trials that I'm aware of. And so, again, we have to be really nuanced in the discussion because different areas will yield different results and different soils have different levels of carbon. And so there's a lot of complexity, but the research is promising and there are other benefits outside of the carbon sequester increased biodiversity, you know, increased microbial life, increased nutrient density, because uh, the plants and the health of the soil kind of work together to create nutrient dense food and habitats for wildlife, the pollinators are coming back. I mean, water cycling and water retention, um, decreased soil erosion, drought, it's just the benefits of re regenerative agriculture are many. And when we only look at just a single unit or just, just the emissions, we're missing the bigger part of the equation. Yeah, it's a really great summary there. And so basically what you're saying is that number one, the, the emissions coming from these cows are very, very small amount, but if they're actually being raised on grass, right? 100% grass, as opposed to a feedlot where they're being fed grains, they're kind of being kept in really tight quarters and you know they have very little access to pasture if any at all uh, particularly towards the end of their life in that in that kind of setting they're they're releasing carbon which all of us do all of us have some level of carbon footprint but normally you know nature when nature is you know when we're around nature and we're around grass and we have enough trees and enough grass it's offsetting that it's kind of detoxifying that carbon and recycling it uh, you know we use the term sequestering it and you know, reusing it, repurposing it. Um, and so, when we have when we have cows that are on grass, right, and they're they're living on the grass, and they're in these kind of farms, these uh, these regenerative farms where they're kind of going from from one pasture to another pasture. When they're off of one side of the pasture, that pasture is now growing, right? Because you know they mm -hmm. they trim down the grass, they poop on it, which is actually, especially when they're eating grass, is actually like fertilizer, right? Which helps the uh, microbial life, and then they move to another set of pasture and they're eating that. Now, all that pasture is actually sequestering the carbon. In fact, I've seen, I've seen data that shows that 
they're actually sequestering more carbon when you have a pasture, we have a farm like this, then the cows are off-putting. Now, obviously, you know, if you have too many cows, you know, like it depends on how many cows you have in the particular uh, pasture land. But if you're doing it properly, then you're actually offsetting almost like twice as much carbon you're sequestering as the amount of carbon that's, that's being output by the cows. Seen that as well? Well, yeah, and that's it's a really interesting um, topic. So the two pieces of research that I found, one was at the University of Michigan, it was Dr. Race, Jason Roundtree, yeah. and he just looked at the finishing phase of the cow production. And again, yes, um, it's funny because cows fed grass will emit more methane. They just yeah. do because of the fiber in their uh, rumen and it, but it's part of a biogenic cycle, right? It's just, if we're not adding livestock to the land, it's not really a problem. And so even taking that into consideration, the amount of carbon they were able to put in the ground in only the AMP grazing system, which mm -hmm. is what he's talking about, this highly managed system, um, offset the total emissions, right? It was a net positive for the environment, whereas the other system wasn't. And then the second one was in White Oak Pastures in Bluffton, Georgia. Yeah. And again, love to qualify because this is, you know, a different type of environment than every other environment. But they were able to, for every kilogram of carbon it emitted for a pound of beef, they sequestered 3.5 kilograms of carbon. Yeah. So again, and, and when you compare that to other analyses that have been done in the past, 33 pounds or 33 kilograms are emitted per conventional beef, and then nine for pork, six for chicken, four, three and a half to four and a half for Beyond Burger. And so you'll see it is the only type of beef or animal product that I know of that is a net positive for the environment, mm -hmm. even though you hear so much about plant-based burgers or soy was actually about it too. So yeah, it's 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 very promising research and I'm very excited about it. And it does show. And, and again, we're only looking at emissions, right? We're not yeah. looking at all the other cool things that happen too. Yeah, you mentioned biodiversity. Let's go into that a little bit more detail. Yeah, so we're losing animals like mm. species um, in droves, right? And this has become a huge problem. And not only, you know, the bees, we know if if we lose the bees, I think Albert Einstein said, if we lose, if all the bees died, we'd have about four years left. So, and all these other species too. And I think we can acknowledge that. And when this happens, our ecosystem becomes very vulnerable, right? Because in addition to biodiversity, we have this changing atmosphere. And so if we don't have a wide variety of animals and um, plants and insects thriving and the temperature changes, some of them are going to be withstand be able to withstand those temperatures and then we further dwindle down but our ecosystems need biodiversity right the more animals the more insects that is how our grasslands thrive that is how our atmosphere thrives that is just how things should be and when we use monocrops and the the current form of predominant agriculture um, we are killing off that diversity with the chemicals um, and the fertilizers that run off into our lakes and streams and cause these large fish kills and um this is maybe one of the biggest issues that we have, uh, even in the genetic breeds of chickens, right? So a lot of these farms that are raising chicken and, and these meat industries are, are dominated by like four huge companies and they're using breeds that have been bred to grow quickly, right? At the expense of all this other diversity. And when, again, when we do that, we become very vulnerable, right? Because if there's a pathogen or an infection or some sort of climate change that knocks out that breed, then then what happens? Um, we're in big trouble is what happens. <laughs> so there's new farmers and ranchers not only focusing on genetic diversity, that's some of the chicken farmers we work with are working on breeding types of animals that are actually able to be raised on pasture um, and creating a more diverse genetic line. But then also when you come in and you use the animals to create better soil, better soil creates more plants, more plants and, and microbial life, of course, more plants create more animals that, that it's able to sustain. And the water is being held where it needs to be in order to nourish those plants. And um, everything just gets better when we have biodiversity. Yeah, absolutely. You know, with biodiversity in the environment, I always think about biodiversity in the gut microbiome and yes. microbiome researchers have found that the more diverse your, your, the amount, the amount of different species, the diversity of the species in your, in your gut the healthier, they're more resilient, more stress resilient you are, and the healthier your gut mucosa is, meaning that that's really kind of the interface between the immune system. It's where 70% of your immune system lies. So you're gonna have a stronger immune system. So think about any sort of virus, bacterial infection, parasites, you're gonna be more resilient 
and uh, able to adapt to it. Well, it's kind of the same thing in our environment. Our environment's able to adapt to stressors more effectively. And, um, you know, when we consume food that's raised on strong, rich topsoil, biodiverse, in a biodiverse environment, that food has more beneficial compounds in there that when we then consume, we, we confer those benefits. Yes, I love that. I actually just read a paper or part of it the other day that was looking at biodiversity in the soil because yeah. again, we are killing that off and it's linked to our gut health. And I, like you said, I think there's a big link there. I think we will find that the more diverse we can create our soils, the healthier the people will become, not only just because, you know, the nutrients, but I think the microbes in the soil. Are, yeah, are totally. Just- I mean, we're, we're, we're finding more and more out about the soil, just like we are with the microbiome. Like we know- yes. Now that we have soil-based microorganisms that, you know, people now are making probiotics out of, right? Soil-based probiotics. We have things like fulvic acids and humic acids, which are phenomenal bioactive carbons that help detoxify the body, help drive minerals. Like fulvic acids are so small, they, they help drive minerals deep in the cells, you know, and these are all needed by plants in order for plants to really thrive, get nutrients in from the soil and and, uh, and so we're finding out more and more. And I think that there's, it's still like untapped, like we're, we still don't know enough about all these benefits of the soil. But what we do know is when we're spraying the soil with, you know, pesticides and herbicides and things like that, we are reducing these uh, powerful compounds and uh, we're creating, you know, less resilient. You were talking about that, that term resilience, less biodiverse, you know, and, and less resilient soil that uh, is much more vulnerable. Absolutely. And the really cool thing is those compounds, um, what I've been learning a lot about and what we are as a community is the fungal networks within the soil, mm, right? Because yep. it's like a super highway down there and they take the minerals from the rocks, break it down, make it available to the plants and the water in exchange for the carbon that comes through mm. uh, via photosynthesis. And so when these networks are destroyed, um, that mineral exchange isn't happening. And they're also finding that these hyphae, they call them, these little thread-like tentacles, um, they produce something called glomalin which is the carbon, it's kind of like a a sticky like substance that again, brings down the carbon into the soil. So yeah. And when you look at Dr. Christine Jones does a lot of this research at the soil and the root systems of conventionally raised crops and, and something on a regenerative system, you will see it's just night and day difference. And um, yeah, I think we're learning a lot, but it looks, it looks very promising. Yeah, absolutely. And so let's talk about grass-fed, grain-fed. You know, my listeners hear me talk about, hey, like it's one of the big changes that I recommend people make is move away from conventional animal products and move towards grass-fed, pasture-raised animal products. And so what is going on in conventional farming? Like what kinds of things are being done versus grass-fed? And let's talk about kind of the nutritional uh, uh, differences between those. Yeah. So first, when you go into a grocery store, 95% of those products are raised in confinement, right? I have a number of concerns with that. And we'll get to the human health ones. First is just, you know, the humane treatment of animals doesn't always happen there. I think we've all we we can all acknowledge that. Um, The second is just the environmental concerns. Manure, like you were saying, 50% of the manure or fertilizer used worldwide is actually manure. And so in a well-managed system, this is a real asset. But when we raise animals in confinement and then there's just, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of them together, their manure becomes overwhelming. It creates ammonia in the atmosphere. It pollutes our waterways and on and on. And then also when we're feeding cows grain that's raised with fertilizer, again, this is creating runoff Mm. and problems in the environment and nitrous oxide release and and on and on. So, and then we have additives. This is more pertinent to human health. We have things like ractopamine, which is a beta agonist that can be used in cows and um, pigs. And it's been linked to like heart palpitations in humans and and poisonings and and it, it's not great for the animals either. They say it can make them aggressive. And then we have my major issue is antibiotics yeah. being used. Ninety seven, you know, or seventy three percent of antibiotics worldwide are actually used in animal agriculture, and they uh, create antibiotic resistant bacteria. That's a, a looming threat and. A lot of people will tell you that there is a withdrawal period where animals can't be given antibiotics before um, they're used for food, and, and that's probably true. But I just read a study that showed even animals who were raised, going in for the certification as raised without antibiotics, I think it was 15% of them still had antibiotics in their urine. And so 
and there's a number of tricky labels we can get into this, but antibiotics are a concern. And then when it comes to just the nutritional differences, so we, it depends on the breed, right? Dairy and eggs seem to be very, very vulnerable, right? We see better levels of omega-3 fatty acids, a better fatty acid ratio, and sometimes higher levels of antioxidants like A and E. When it comes to pork, I, my favorite example of this is our um, regenerative pig farmer created, actually did a study because our omega-6 to omega-3 fatty acid ratio is thought to be a contributor to inflammation. And we all know nobody wants inflammation. And when you get a conventionally raised pork product, the ratio is about 35 to one. And we want to opt for, you know, four to one, one to one, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's an extreme example, range. but yeah. And so what he did was see if I put my pigs on pasture for 50% of the time, and then for hundred percent of the time or 0% of the time, how did that change that ratio? And he actually got down when he gave the right breed of pigs all grass, it was down to a five to one ratio. So that's remarkable from a 35 to one. And even just putting your grain fed pigs on pasture brought that ratio down in half. So we know in pork, uh, fatty acid ratio is, is hugely determined by what that animal is consuming. And then when it comes to beef, there's a lot of nuance in the discussion, of course, the, the breed of the cow, where you're raising it. But there are some pretty clear trends that fatty acid ratios, omega-6 to omega-3 fatty acid ratio improves when it's fed grass. There's more CLA, which is conjugated linoleic acid. That's a beneficial acid for anti-diabetes and anti-cancer properties. And then we have higher levels of glutathione, our body's master antioxidant. Some trials have shown higher levels of B vitamins, and some trials have actually shown that in feedlots too, because they give supplements. And, and the minerals is kind of, it can be, it depends on the trial. Again, it depends on probably where the animal's being raised and probably the conditions of the soil at the heart of it where the animal is being raised. And, but what's really exciting is there's levels of secondary compounds and my friend, Dr. Provenza and Dr. Van Vliet have looked at, you know, feedlot meat versus regeneratively raised meat and these secondary compounds, which are not fat, carbohydrates and protein, but they're things like terpenoids and carotenoids and phenols and these other compounds that we generally attribute to plant food, but we know have demonstrable benefits, at least um, in animal studies, anti-diabetic, you know, anti-inflammatory, antifungal and on and on. Um, but those levels increase significantly the more diverse the pasture the animal is raised on and that's what i'm really excited about because now what they're looking at and i'm actually doing my dissertation and i think i'll be involved in some of this research is what does it matter for human health that those levels of anti-inflammatory compounds increase and dr Provenza is really interested in um they seem to promote satiety as well which is another thing i think most americans struggle with is fine you know i think it has to do with we don't eat a lot of protein high quality food we're just looking for these nutrients that might not even still be in most of the food we're eating but he's going to do a study actually dr van vliet is where he looks at CAFO meat or confined animal feeding operation versus regeneratively raised meat and plant-based burgers and then what is the response after a meal in the inflammation yeah. And so they did a study in Australia, so where they kind of got a glimpse in this. Do you know about this study? Mm -mm. No. Okay, so they took wild kangaroo meat, and then they took confined animal feeding meat, uh, Wagyu beef specifically. And then they looked at, it was a crossover trial, so the same participants did both. And what they looked at was the levels of inflammation post-meal, and did they change? And what they found is when you ate the kangaroo meat, the wild meat, it was a significantly less inflammation after response. But of course, it's not beef to beef. And so Van Vliet is going to come in and do that beef to beef comparison and try and demonstrate um, his hypothesis is that the levels will be lower, the more diverse the pasture. But the big thing is too, a lot of this research, when you hear grass feed fed beef aren't that different, um, if you've ever heard that, it, a lot of time comes down to the regulation, like grass fed can mean a lot of different things. And we right. can get into that too. Um, but regeneratively raised beef, um, I think we're going to find really awesome things in terms of its human health potential. Hey guys, I just wanted to interrupt this podcast to tell you about one of my favorite food products. I mean, if you're out there and you're looking for healthy snack options or, you know, really healthy food, sometimes it can be hard to find a gut friendly gluten-free snack option. And that's why you need to know about Paleo Valley. 
They're 100% grass-fed beef and 100% pasture-raised turkey meat sticks are not only loaded with delicious flavor, but they are completely free of carbs and sugar. Such a great bioavailable protein snack to grab on the go. I oftentimes will eat them with meals too. Like if I eat a meal and I'm still a little bit hungry, feel like I need a little bit more protein and healthy fats, I go ahead and have them. You know, they're gluten-free, they're soy-free, they're dairy-free, GMO-free, preservative-free. I mean, what's not to love about that? On top of that, they actually also have probiotics in them as well. So you're getting the protein, healthy fats, and you're getting probiotics, lots of key minerals and nutrients in there, and they taste amazing. And now you can use my coupon code, Jockers, just my last name, J-O-C-K-E-R-S, to get 15% off your order today. Simply go to their website, paleovalley.com, and enter Jockers at checkout, and you'll receive 15% off your entire purchase. The link and discount code are also available in the show notes of today's episode. Once you try these meat sticks, you won't be able to get enough. My kids and I absolutely love them, and I know your family will too. So try them out today. Yeah, because it can be grass-fed, but then grain-finished, right? Last 90 days to really fatten it up, and that's going to drain the omega-3s are going to go down, conjugated linoleic acid is going to go down, so it's not going to be looking super significantly different than you know 100% grain grain-fed. So that's a big factor there. You know, for me, it just comes down to the idea uh, in nutrition that we want to maximize the amount of nutrients in our diet. We want to minimize the amount of toxins. And so whatever the animal eats, that's what's going to make up their flesh and their dairy products, right? Or their eggs or whatever it is. And so when an animal is eating conventionally grown, uh, you know, sprayed pesticide, herbicide, sprayed grains, grains we know have very little nutrition, and they have high omega-6 fats, right? High omega-6, very low omega-3s. And then they've got, you know, glyphosate and different herbicides and pesticides. And so all of those toxins are going to bioaccumulate in the meat, in the dairy products of that animal. And they're basically fed like 24 set. I mean, they just have unlimited access. So these grains are, are, are higher glycemic than what the cows are supposed to eat. So they're developing insulin resistance, which shuts down their detoxification pathways, so they're bioaccumulating these toxins and, uh, you know, they have very little nutrients in them. Whereas when they're eating grass, you know, the grass we know has got a lot of carotenoids, right? So we know that, you know, if your grass, like out here in Georgia, we kind of have a little bit of a drought going on right now. And so people that don't have their sprinklers on, we're seeing the grass turn yellow. That's the carotenoids in there as the chlorophyll dies off. So we know grass has these carotenoids in it. We know that, you know, just the green pastures, we got chlorophyll in there. We have got, you know, that helps actually increase conjugate linoleic acid in the system. We have um, omega-3s in the grass. And then, like you mentioned, a lot of these kind of adaptogenic, like when I think about tertrapenes, I think about adaptogenic herbs, right? Because yes. that's one of the major compounds that acts almost like a, like a thermostat, right? Where it's kind of setting the temperature or helping adapt your body's energy levels, um, adapting your circadian rhythm. Uh, by, by consuming, like for example, ashwagandha has lots of tertrapenes, rhodiola, right? Things like that, that we know for, you know, for energy, for help, for sleep, for stress reduction, these compounds, you know, that, that are, they're in these adaptogens, particularly adaptogens that are grown in environments that are more biodiverse, right? And are in more uh, geographically challenging environments like rhodiola, is supposed to be grown, you know, it grows in Siberia and it, it, it faces extreme temperature changes, right? Mm -hmm. And so those tertrapenes help it adapt to that environment. And then when we can, we consume it, we take on those, we confer those benefits and it helps us adapt to the environment we're in. So when these cows are consuming these, you know, they're taking on grass and, you know, different greens, green foods and, and whatnot that they're consuming that is going through, you know, is having to adapt to geographical changes, to a biodiverse environment, things like that. And so they've got, they're, they're creating more of these uh, powerful adaptogenic compounds. And now the cow's consuming that. Now their, their meat, their dairy products are going to have that in it. And so for the consumer, I mean, you think about it, it's like you're going to be, you are what you eat, right? We hear that term all the time. And then we are what we're eating when it comes to meat has eaten, right? And so yes. <laughs> that's what we have to think about. Yes. And it's really cool because Dr. Provenza does a lot of research in this area, looking at 
uh, the animals and self-medicating, just like you're saying, yeah. when you put an animal on the feedlot, they lose that opportunity to kind of course correct. He's done a lot of experimentation where they know what to eat and mm -hmm. they have these secondary compounds give them the signals like, okay, stop. Or they can go and medicate when they're not feeling well. They'll kind of find these crops and these foods that will will heal them. And so um, as humans, like in certain areas, they actually like specific types mm -hmm. of um, foods and animal products from very specific regions because they're familiar with the differences in these secondary compounds. And we've kind of homogenized our system here where we're just feeding a lot of grain, but I hope that one day it'll be kind of like we go and taste a great beef, like yeah. we go and taste a great wine and we can appreciate those differences in, in the texture and the flavor uh, because of the secondary compounds. So I think yeah, that's so cool. And that's so cool that they self-medicate. Cause you think about it, like, yeah. you know, if you just have, even a monocrop pasture, they're all eating the same exact grass as opposed to like more of like what you're talking about here, a wild pasture. You've got dandelions popping up. We know dandelions are a bitter that's amazing for the liver, great for the kidneys, right? So helping open up the detoxification pathways. Um, you know, they've got different herbs, fennel, different things like that that are growing all around that pasture. And, uh, you know, they're, they just kind of have an innate sense of what they're needing. Yes, it's beautiful. And and also, I think that he also talks about that satiety, like they know, because of those secondary compounds, when it's time mm. when they've had enough of something, yeah. right. But when we're not given that choice, um, they're just forced. And that's why they often become insulin resistant and have mitochondrial dysfunction. But I think the same is true for us. Like we're all used to the same flavor, but maybe it's working against us in the sense that we're missing those secondary compounds, because in certain types yeah. um, of really diverse pastures, you can have as many secondary compounds as things like a, like an eggplant, like they can be comparable to the amount that's actually in vegetable, uh, vegetables as well. So yeah, I think that we're missing a larger conversation. And also we can't separate ourselves from the health of the planet. Like as much as we want to try and say these feedlots, like they're producing good quality meat, you know, I think we have to do the best with what we can, but if we're polluting the planet, like uh, we can't survive without the soil. Right. And so I just think we have to acknowledge that too. Yeah, for sure. And of course there's this big push for like beyond meat and possible mm. burger, things like that. But what is going on there? Like, I mean, that's pretty much just conventionally grown soybeans, different things like that. That's just pumped full of chemicals, right? Cause I mean, these aren't labeled non-GMO or organic or anything like that. And that's being pushed out as health, a healthier alternative. Oh, I know. And there's celebrities endorsing it. And I think what we have to realize is what's healthy about having a bunch of people in a lab relying on monocultures yeah. and ingredients that are degrading our soil. And they're also actually being sued. I think it's beyond meat right now for misrepresenting rep the amount of protein actually in their products because they didn't seem to take bioavailability into account. Right. And so that's different in animal and plant products. But yeah, we have to understand the corporations that are pushing these beyond meat or these meat alternatives, they're powerful. And this plant-based agenda, it's it serves their pocketbook, right? But what we really need is food sovereignty. We need farmers in our communities invested in the land. We don't want corporate big old corporations creating food and buying up all of our land and outsourcing their pollution to our communities where we don't get to make any choices anymore and we don't have control over our food supply. So no, I think think that we are absolutely moving in the wrong direction. I understand people wanting to do this because they're, you know, kind of bought into the message that they're better for the environment. But as I stated before, in the wild oak pastures analysis, um, beyond meat was actually worse in terms of emissions than regeneratively raised beef. And so that's why I think this message yeah. is important. <clears throat> yeah, for sure. I definitely don't recommend consuming that. Even if you are somebody that wants to be, you know, on a vegetarian or vegan diet, I would, I would recommend yeah. avoiding these meat alternative products. And in general, what I found is that there's a very small percentage of people that actually do really well on a, a, a very like 99, 100% plant-based diet. I think of it like a bell curve. Like we have, you know, the kind of 10% on one end that really does poorly on all plant products. They, they really thrive on a very animal centric carnivore style diet. We have another 10% that does really well on almost 100% plant-based diet. And, and you know, those are oftentimes the people that are like, hey, look, plant-based cures everything. And it's just absolutely amazing. The reality is 80% of us are doing well on an omnivorous diet, right? Mm -hmm. A very diverse diet. And protein is one of the most important things we should all be prioritizing because it's so important for satiety, 
for muscle development, especially, you know, as people are aging, they're, de they're, they're developing, um, you know, they're losing muscle mass, right? And so that's a really big factor with aging successfully. Again, blood sugar stabilizing, keeping your insulin, insulin sensitivity uh, intact. So protein itself is really critical, but then also protein from real foods, particularly, you know, these kinds of grass-fed animal products where you've also got these important compounds. Like, you know, there's a lot of people out there that will say things like, meat, increasing the amount of meat in your diet increases your risk of cancer. And we could talk all day about some of those studies. And we've done that in a previous interview, but you have compounds like conjugate linoleic acid, which uh, has been shown to have very powerful anti-cancer benefit. You have carotenoids, uh, you know, vitamin A and, and um, beta carotene and, and vitamin E and things like that, that are really powerful anti, uh, have powerful anti-carcinogenic effects as well. And then you also have very unique animal compounds as well, like carnitine and carnosine, which are really powerful and, and almost understudied, right? And then there's other compounds that, you know, we're just finding out that are in a lot of these, um, you know, grass-fed animal products, the omega-3s, right? Things like that. They're just so powerful for overall health. And this is why I'm a huge advocate of prioritizing the animal products that you do have in your diet and making sure you're getting them in the proper, you know, getting grass-fed because again, this way you're reducing your toxic load and then you're also dramatically improving your nutrient density in your diet. Yeah. And it's really cool that you just said, you know, I I'm always, <laughs> there's a lot of people on the extremes, right? So if you believe that an omnivorous, omnivorous diet is the best way to go, what's cool about these compounds, these secondary compounds in the meat is they can kind of act like that buffer. Yeah. There is some research to suggest they buffer. If there are any carcinogenic byproducts produced, they can mitigate that too. So yeah, no, I think you've said it beautifully. It's minimizing the toxic load, not only in humans, but for the planet and increasing nutrient density and biodiversity for the planet. So, well, a couple of things that you guys do that I really like, I love, for example, first off, you know, I started the podcast out. I was talking about the meat sticks, right? You've got the Turkey meat sticks. You've got the grass fed beef sticks, right? Everybody in my family consumes them. Even my little baby girl, who at the time that we're recording this, it has just turned 13 months old. And so we're doing baby, baby led weaning. And so she's got a mouthful of teeth right now. And, you know, she's in this teething stage. So chewing on stuff uh, is important to her. And it's like, we give her like a half a meat stick and she just goes to town on that thing and absolutely <laughs> loves it. Oh, it makes me heart so happy. My little guy, he likes them most of the time, the teriyaki specifically, but yeah. I always love to hear that kids love them because when I was a little child, um, I didn't, I kind of shied away from meat. I think I didn't digest it well and I didn't understand that yet. Um, but I think I suffered as a result. So beautiful. It makes me yeah, I'm in agreement. You know, I, uh, growing up, we ate very little meat. My parents, my mom, actually in the early nineties, she was studying to become a naturopath. And back then the macrobiotic diet was, yeah. was really important. So we would have steamed kale with like no salt on it. Right. It was like a low sodium, very low fat diet. We'd have like, hmm. so we, you know, we'd have like lima beans and stuff like that. So we, so I rebelled, you know, it was like the most bland <laughs> diet ever. Right. Um, but now, you know, as, as I've grown up, you know, and I, I developed irritable bowel in my early 20s. And that's actually when I discovered um, Dr. Mercola, and he had written a book called The No Grain Diet, came off of grains, went on a much more animal-centric diet and was really was able to heal irritable bowel, uh, you know, after that. And I was a vegetarian at that time. And so um, but when I when I came off of it, and so good quality grass-fed animal products, something I've been consuming now for gosh, 17 years. Um, absolutely transform my life, my health. And, uh, you know, I've seen it happen for so many other people. And, and the grass-fed meat sticks are a really easy approach because these things are portable, right? You don't have to cook them, right? Very simple, very yeah. easy. If you're on the go, you're getting the protein and the protein, the healthy fats are going to satiate you. And you guys also have probiotics in them as well. Well, you know what? Initially, they were had probiotics, then we had to yeah. reduce the water content. And so mm. the last analysis showed that they weren't there, but they are still fermented and they definitely yeah. are more digestible um, because of that process. And I just hear that all the time. It's just, uh, I don't react to these beef sticks in the way that I would most mm. normal beef sticks. And I think the fermentation has something to do with that. Right. And most meat jerky and, you know, kind of alternatives out there are loaded with sugar and additives and things like that. And you guys don't have any of that in there. 
None of that. That was my problem with it. I even, I think we talked about in this last episode, but there's an ingredient they use in capsulated citric acid, which is just genetically modified corn. And then they coat it in hydrogenated oil. And then it just like these little beads just melt right into the stick. And that preserves it in a, in a very cost-effective way. But I just thought, you know what? I just want to avoid that. And we're just going to do organic spices because really high quality beef and turkey, they don't need a lot. That's yeah. just... I don't, I, I don't agree. I don't agree with sugar in your meat sticks. I mean, if you're <laughs> going to eat sugar, eat sugar. Yeah, exactly. Put it in your meat stick too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. And and now you guys have actually started a restaurant too in the Boulder, Colorado area. Come visit us at Wild Pastures Burger Company. Um, We actually created it. It has no sugar anywhere in the restaurant, which was so very difficult because it took a lot of work because we actually have like organic whole milk uh, milkshakes if you want to go that route. And all of our fries are cooked in tallow, which I'm sure your audience yeah, knows yeah. is a far more stable cooking oil. Oil. And actually what they used to use back in the day before uh, vegetable oils were created. And then everything is sourced from American regenerative, regenerative farms um, in terms of the animal products and gluten-free buns and gluten-free um, onion and zucchini haystacks. And so, yeah, come see us. We're really excited. We haven't ever had a brick and mortar, but um, we're learning. <laughs> <laughs> I'm envious. We need something like that out here in the Atlanta area. So hopefully. Um, Yep. Yeah. When you guys expand as you grow, right? Come out <laughs> like to Like you Atlanta. said, we're pretty naive. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, last question is, what does a day in the life look like for you? I know, obviously, you've got a, a, a son. He's seven now, right? He's seven. Yeah. Seven. I, I remembered that because he's almost the same age as my sons who are six and a half at the time of this recording. So he's seven. You got your husband. You guys are running all these different businesses, right? How do you do it all? Well, what does your life look like? You know what? We are a business that prioritizes lifestyle. That's kind of why we went in because I was working as a celebrity fitness trainer and I was just, I didn't have control over anything. And so I was kind of like, we need to kind of work on our own terms and work for something we really love. And, and our um, team, we, we always say that, like, have a life. And so we work probably like six hours of the day, but we wake up and we get outside and we get sun. And I've actually just started doing red light therapy oh, with yeah. my son. <laughs> it's, so important for my sleep. And it actually seems to really help him too. And he likes it. It's kind of energizing to him. And, but often we go outside in our backyard too, because we live on this nature reserve and we like to get at least 30 minutes of sun. Um, and sometimes I'm fasting intermittent if it's the first phase of my cycle. And sometimes I'm not, we'll mm -hmm. go have a breakfast because we have our meat delivery service. A lot of times it's steak, <laughs> which is so nice because we've made it affordable. Um, high quality animal products and some veggies. And then um, I usually go to work and I do my thing and take breaks to go on the jump on the tramp. And then we'll do like a walk at night as a family and just kind of wind things down. But it's it's a very typical day. I mean, we I try and balance it and I have a lot of support, but um, we, we always, Maverick's my priority. You know, the companies of course, but yeah. he can come in here anytime he wants in the middle of an interview. I always tell him like, you're the most important thing, but, but we get her done, when, but uh, we've got a really big team now. So, um, I'm not responsible for most of the important stuff, which is, yeah, you guys are doing great. And, yeah. uh, and Maverick, is he in school? Are you guys homeschooling him? How do, what are you guys <sighs> doing with that? Gosh, that's, I mean, I have gone back and forth with this for so long, but we are keeping him in school right now. He's in school. He had a really rough year. I think he's one of the highly sensitive kids and, and the whole pandemic. And mm. it was just very um, off-centering for him, but we, he's still in school and uh, we're making it work. And he's really into tech technology. Mm. He thinks he's going to be a YouTuber and he already codes. So he might <laughs> <Wow>. be there, <laughs> but yeah, I've, <laughs> I've tried to get him into, you know, sports and, you know, health and wellness, but he is just very laser focused. He's like, I'm a coder. I'm tech is my thing. So we'll see. We'll see. That's so interesting. He's driven kind of knows, <laughs> knows what he loves right from the start. Yeah. You know? It's wild. I'm sure your kids are the same though. They just, yeah. It's interesting. You know, I have, twin, I have twin boys that are genetically the same, right? Well, yeah. we can notice already big differences. Like one of my sons is just like, you just watch him move and you're like, that is an athlete, right? Just dominates in soccer. We had to put him up, you know, in, in a higher age group, right? With kids that are older than him. Cause he's just so good. And then my other son mm -hmm. is a good, he's a good athlete. He has the same genes, but just doesn't have kind of the same eye hand, eye foot coordination, mm -hmm. but he has picked up reading just like that. Yeah. Right. Numbers, you know, stuff like that. So it's like, it's interesting. You kind of get to see, even though they have the same genes yeah. and they're, they're eating all the same foods, right. Same yeah. parenting, right. All that stuff. You can just kind of see how they start to uh, like what they gravitate towards. Isn't that fascinating? 
Yeah. I only yeah. have one, but I see that with my sister's kids and it's just like, wow, they could not be more different and yet very similar environments. So that's fascinating. Yeah. Your boys are pretty cute. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. Well, Autumn, I just want to acknowledge you guys and all the great work that you guys are doing. I think getting this idea of regenerative farming, um, getting more people on grass-fed, grass-finished animal products, and this idea of regenerative farming as really one of the solutions to you know the climate crisis. I know that's there's controversial, this whole idea of climate crisis, but I think all of us could agree, we want the cleanest air, we want the cleanest water, we want the cleanest environment that we can, we can live in. And so the regenerative farming, having that as uh, one of the main solutions to help clean up our air quality, our water quality, uh, to add more biodiversity to our land and add more nutrition to our soil and then to our food, I think is, is so important. And you're one of the leaders in that area. So I just want to thank you for all the great work that you're doing. Well, thank you for that acknowledgement. The heart the farmers are the real heroes, right? I just get to be the one talking about all the amazing yeah. work that they're doing. But yeah, I consider them like ecological doctors. And so totally. um, thank you. We love the work you're doing. And um, we're just so grateful uh, that our paths have crossed. That's right. Awesome. Well, you can check her out, paleovalley.com, wildpastures.com. So you can check out their meat delivery service. If you're in the Boulder, Colorado area, it, what is it called? Wild Pastures Burger Company. Burger we made company. it nice and simple. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. And we'll have links in the show notes for all of these things. And uh, you also have a podcast as well, right? And people can find your podcast. Yeah, it's called Optimize Paleo. Thanks for I, I started that because it's just like super important for me to talk to people that are smarter than me on a regular basis. I'm just that person who needs that. So yeah, if you like to get into the nerdy stuff, um, find me over at Optimize Paleo for sure. Yeah, sounds good. All right. Well, Autumn, thanks so much again for everything you're doing. And guys, we'll see you guys in a future podcast. Be blessed, everybody. Well, that's all for this show. And I want to thank you again for spending your valuable time with me today. And if there was something you heard in this interview that you have questions on or you want to dive into deeper, then drjockers.com is the best place to go. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider taking just a quick moment and giving us a great review. Your reviews help us influence more people and transform more lives. And if you took something valuable away from this episode, then please share it with someone in your life you know it can help. We'll see you soon on a future podcast. Be blessed, everybody.